0: I'll be very honest. I I was seeing a therapist and I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety pharmaceuticals, and n- they weren't working. I I still right. wasn't eating and I nothing was working, and I was so desperate. I mean, it, I got down to 112 pounds, and I'm five foot nine. So, like for reference, when I played volleyball in college, my playing weight was 140. So, almost 30 pounds of weight I lost. Um, And I was just desperate to find anything that that could help me start eating again.
1: Hello, this is Victor Ung from the Human Up podcast. And you're listening to a podcast about emotional intelligence, about cannabis wellness, mental health, um, cultural identity, and identifying blind spots and spiritual awakening and finding purpose and deepening relationships it's all this good stuff (laughs) Um, and I've been on a journey myself learning to better understand my own emotions and and you know identifying these blind spots within me um, doing a lot of this introspective soul-searching thing and honestly growing up i had a lot of judgment around this type of work you know i just i i didn't think it was real or i didn't think it was a good use of time uh it's very much raised in that culture of like just work hard and and you know and and you'll be fine kind of thing and uh there was just a a huge lack of awareness a lack of a, a language to talk about these deeper things that people don't normally talk about and listening in on other podcasts and other people's stories and blogs and reading books and you know talking to friends and family and strangers over the internet and doing all this work has really increased a lot of awareness of how much we can hold ourselves back if we don't allow ourselves to uncover the limiting beliefs that we might have underneath those things right like we're not even aware of what we don't know right but if we continue living in that comfort in that familiarity in that stability of of ignorance um, it's easy to feel like your life is chaotic or that everything is against you or that life is unfair or you know that you're unlucky or that other other people are against you right and i'm I'm grateful that i was able to see that or to have that foresight in in my own situation and i think definitely attribute a lot of that gratitude for the much of the wisdom that has been passed on to me through other types of content like through podcasts and whatnot too and i understand that there's even more that i don't know right uh so i'm very much enjoying building out this podcast to just continue having these types of conversations and exploration around these you know many many facets of life and what we can do to bring that sense of inner peace and content within us so that we can flourish from a more stable foundation within ourselves right that so that we could be our best selves you know when when most of our basic needs are met cuz i totally recognize that this is a privilege to be you know thinking about all these all these things like self actualization and like spiritual awakening and all this right when you are struggling to put food on the table when you're struggling to uh figure out where your your next paycheck's coming from or dealing with the anxiety of not having a job or or whatnot so this podcast is about tapping into all those other stories about burnout about uh stress management um repressing emotions and shallow relationships or uh just this type of numbness that I think a lot of us might fall trapped to um, unintentionally, you know, when we kind of just let life happen. So this week I have on as a guest Sarah Gardner. Um, I found, can't remember exactly where, through social media um, and really resonated with one of her posts about the chronic emptiness as she called it um that she was feeling and also for the fact that she is a membership director at the hemp industries association um and i am super fascinated by the whole industry itself and her role in it as well as how cannabis played a role in her own life so i'm excited to uh share this conversation with you and if as you're listening you do find value in it i would very much love your emotional or monetary support uh with this podcast um, emotionally you can support by liking or following or subscribing to this podcast as well as sharing this episode to someone who could really benefit or could hear or who, who really needs to hear this And if you're willing and capable, your monetary support will be so helpful in keeping this podcast going as well. Um, You know, creating and hosting a podcast is not free. So um, just helping to maintain the fees as well as my time and energy and effort to put into this. Um, You can support at bit.ly slash human up podcast donation. And with that, we'll get into the episode with Sarah Gardner after a quick message from my sponsor. First off, thank you for being a listener of the Human Up podcast. I definitely have so much to say and express and all the things that I've experienced and observed throughout my life that I honestly have been cultured and and kind of pressured to to bite my tongue against. So I really love being able to use this platform and this medium as a podcast to do so. And it wouldn't be possible without anchor.fm, which is the hosting platform I use to distribute this podcast. It's perfect for me right now because it's free and automatically distributes my episodes to all the different platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And the cool part is that there are tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So you don't even need any extra software or services to to create the podcast. And you can even make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership by recording ads like this. So if you have a message to send and ideas to spread, definitely download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And who knows, maybe we can collab and create a a podcast episode together. If you do end up creating one, you should definitely hit me up and and we can do something there. With that, let's get back to the episode. Just hit record. All right. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on to the podcast. I'm, I'm excited to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me, Victor. I am so thrilled to be here and and to talk about such a great topic that is very close to my heart
1: yeah yeah i um the internet is a funny place you know when you kind of just run into so many different types of people so i'm I'm really curious to really dive into your story here and um Maybe we can just kind of start with that. Like how, what, what are you, for those who don't know you, what are you kind of working on now and how did you get into this work?
0: Yeah. So currently my professional role is that I am the membership director for the Hemp Industries Association, which is a 501c6 nonprofit trade association that works on behalf of the hemp industry. And we currently have almost 1,500 members. We were founded actually 27 years ago, uh, making us the foremost and premier hemp industry in the United States. And so we largely exist to just promote the success of our members and to progress the industry as a whole uh, from a legal standpoint Um, and just making sure that policy is very conducive to our members' success and also just creating a network of of people who can who are willing to help out you know and offer their time for other members uh, so we've we've really got the brain trust of the hemp industry among our membership, and it's basically my job to connect all of those those people to each other and then also connect us to outside organizations who can help us progress our initiatives.
1: That's cool. Yeah. um, And so I'm coming in from definitely a a very much an outside perspective from all of that, from the whole industry itself. Um, And definitely from a kind of consumer standpoint, sort of on the recreational side as well. Um, And so, you know, I guess that's kind of my disclaimer to say that uh, some of my questions may be a little... I don't don't want to say dumb, but it will be a little dumb.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. all. I I
1: recognize
0: that this is, it's definitely a topic that has been thrust into the spotlight, um, Mm. light of the 2018 Farm Bill, which made hemp a federally legal crop. And now, you know, the emergence of CBD, it feels like you can't go anywhere without seeing it being sold somewhere at this point, I mean, now it's at gas stations, and even we yeah. saw a video store that was selling CBD the other day, and I was, I had to laugh a little bit about it.
1: Wow, really? Like oh. you, a place where you rent DVDs?
0: Yes. Which I was like, I <laughs> video store still exists. I thought those had all closed. It. That's
1: the... hilarious. We're
0: trying to pivot with the CBD. I think.
1: <laughs> wow. That wow. Okay. Yeah. No, and and that's a totally a thing. Like I I feel like CBD is almost a new like trend and it, it like almost to uh um what's the word? Yeah, it's just it's just really hyped and I feel like people are just throwing it in there just cuz it's the new thing.
0: It is. It is and you know, I've it's been hard for me to witness. It um I think CBD is a great thing and the reason that it's so hyped is because it has helped. I mean, it works. Bottom line yeah. it works. It helps countless people with countless varying different medical issues. It's, you know, there, it, it helps so many different people in so many different ways. And I think that's why, you know, its use has exploded so much, but that being said in an industry where there are no regulations when something of this nature blows up, so do the bad products and and the product the ah. corner cutting products and and yeah. they're, I can tell you, in light of our lack of regulation, something like 85 percent of the CBD products on shelves contain actually no CBD. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and And just for any listener who may have bought CBD off of Amazon you did not buy CBD off of Amazon. You bought <laughs> off of Amazon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You should definitely be checking, checking your labels. <laughs>
0: yes. I'm- so
1: does that mean anybody could just slap on the word CBD? Is Qu- that- and
0: that's quite literally what people are doing. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So in order to make sure you have purchased a legitimate CBD product, you, at, at this point, in most states a QR code is required on the label mm-hmm. at, at which directs back to third party lab tests and you should never consume a CBD product until you have an opportunity to look over that third party lab test and the reason behind that is hemp is a bioaccumulator so it, it it is a it's a pro i mean an absolute pro at sucking up chemicals and toxins from the soil to the extent that it is actually planted after chemical spills and to remediate soil that has been damaged, um, you know, by, by pesticide, by heavy metals, by whatever it may be. Hemp is planted in those places to remediate the soil. And so when you're growing hemp for a consumable product like CBD, whatever that hemp is growing in in the soil, it is picking that up. So your third mm-hmm. party lab tests need to show um, lead, heavy metals, mycotoxins, pesticides, um, I, I can go so far as to say the last CBD company I worked for even tested for glyphosate um, so which is you know popping up in General Mills kids cereals left and right right now, which is just horrifying. but that is why you want to make sure you're getting lab tested CBD because if you're not, there's a good chance, A, there's no CBD in the product, but B, if it is CBD, you want to make sure that you're getting really high quality pure CBD that doesn't have any of those nasty toxins in it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, maybe we could dive into that <laughs> <laughs> later. Um, and that's really good to know though. Cause I mean, that is, Unfortunately, with any kind of you know hype like this, it, it's really hard to know, um, you know what to trust and and where to go, and it can get really overwhelming. So that's that's good to know at least with the QR code side. Like that's a good sign to look out for.
0: Yes, and I and I just like explaining why because you know as a consumer, if someone tells me don't buy that product unless it has third party test results. I'm gonna ignore that unless I know why. Like, what yeah. what would actually motivate me to seek out those third party test results? Oh, it is bad for my health. Okay, then maybe I will actually do that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, and so I mean, this is a big reason why I'm curious and have and bring in uh, a lot more cannabis educators onto the to the podcast is just because. Um. You know that it this is a i mean it's really just a a plant the plant itself is so misunderstood, <laughs> and I think we still are doing so much research about all aspects of it um and so it's it it's just I'm just kind of tapping into my own curiosity right now and in, in like learning a lot more about it and um and especially how to. You know, best use it for our health and wellness. So, um, that having that said, uh, you've had kind of a transformation with cannabis. Would you say?
0: I I would. Yes. I in 2017, I um I sort of hit rock bottom, and my depression manifested in the form of a, a really debilitating eating disorder, and I did not eat. A solid meal for about three and a half months. And, and that was strictly due to my body. My body just shut down and, and stopped processing food. I was in such a state of, of stress that my body stopped processing food. Mm. And that is when I started. And, and I had, at that point, I already had a relationship with cannabis. I was a cannabis user. Um, but at that point, I started dabbing, which that's very high THC concentrate. So anywhere between like 70 and 90% THC. It's a much different experience than smoking flour, as you might imagine. And um, you know, the flour, due to what to my tolerance or, you know, whatever, at that point, the flour was no longer really sparking my appetite. And so I turned to the concentrates and that. Helped and it brought my appetite back and it helped me gain weight back. And so, yeah, I have definitely experienced firsthand the therapeutic effects of cannabis. Uh, And just from being in the industry for the last three years, I have also witnessed it in so many other people that I Mm -hmm. absolutely view cannabis as a medicine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A, a medicine that requires a lot of, um, yeah, just education and, and sort of intentional use.
0: A lot it. of introspection. I mean, it, because I view it as a medicine is that much more cause for me to, you know, question my recreational use of it, you know, before mm. I, I, smoke now, I'm always like, what is motivating me to do this? Is am I feeling anxious? Am I, you know, do I have social anxiety? Do I am I I just I question the hell out of myself now having had that experience and which um to take it a little bit further, it, it, cannabis helped me bounce back from my eating disorder, but I habituated it to the extent that I became dependent on it, that I couldn't Uh. without it. And so I've seen both sides of that coin. Um, You know, cannabis is a plant and it's natural and it's medicinal and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but we're still human and we can Mm -hmm. use anything. And that's what I did with cannabis. Um, And, you know, and that's not to say it's addictive or negative or bad we can become addicted to literally anything, for example, running or working out. And I don't think anyone would argue that running or working out is negative or bad.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd love to, you know, tap into that story a little more in, in like, what was, what was kind of life like then, um, Either before it sounds like it sounds like you've been using cannabis recreationally before, but was there um, a uh, what was that shift then to to kind of use it more medicinally?
0: So my relationship with cannabis has I've it's been going on for sixteen years, and it's one of the longest standing relationships in my life. And as you might imagine, over that length of time, it has evolved and shifted. Multiple different times, and you know i've I've used it very differently throughout different periods of my life um, like in high school, I started smoking when I was a sophomore in high school, and I used it for my anxiety, which I couldn't have named for you when I was in high mm-hmm. school. I didn't have the clinical knowledge or the words to be able to say, "I have anxiety." But back then I just knew that it let me breathe a little bit easier and it removed the weight of all the pressure that was placed on me to be a successful student athlete in a very image focused, uh, religious private school community. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in high school, I never bought or kept cannabis in my parents house or anything of that nature. I typically just smoked with my friends after school and on the weekends, So it wasn't so necessary that I was personally like procuring it at the time, but I was definitely partaking in it pretty often. Um, So in high school, I would say, you know, I used it medicinally from an anxiety standpoint. Um, And then I never, I honestly, I I took a number of years off of smoking because I played volleyball in college and I was so afraid of getting drug tested that I, Sort of stopped, um, and then I didn't start smoking again until 2013. Um, I moved to Nashville to go to grad school, and I started dating somebody who smoked daily, and and through him, it became a part of my life again. Um, and then, while I was with him, was when I first started buying my own cannabis, which was such a revelation to me that I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I you know this it's not legal, but I have access to this (laughs) and it opened a whole new world to me, um, to be able to buy my own and smoke, you know, from the comfort of my home. Um, it just, yeah, it was, it became a totally different experience for me at that point. Um, and then in 2017 is when I really, you know, started using it Therapeutically for the eating mm. disorder, um, because you know, I'll be very honest. I I was seeing a therapist and I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety pharmaceuticals, and they weren't working. I I still right. wasn't eating and I nothing was working, and I was so desperate. I mean, it, I got down to one hundred and twelve pounds, and I'm five foot nine, so like for reference when i played volleyball in college my playing weight was 140 so almost 30 pounds of weight i lost um and i was just desperate to find anything that that could help me start eating again
1: right yeah and it's it it is kind of amazing that this you know plant has so many different you know, positive effects from it, like in in various ways for our for our physical and emotional health. Like in terms of being able to, you know, relax ourselves. I and mean, when you said it's it was a, a treatment for anxiety, and then also to boost your appetite so that you can eat. It's like it's almost. little too magical (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um,
0: There was a point when, and I explained it this way to a person. I said, if I want to eat, I smoke. If I don't want to eat, I smoke. If I want to go to bed, I smoke. But if I want to wake up, I smoke. I mean, it really became this like panacea, which is, I think, you know, where the dangers of becoming habituated to something why because you can literally use it for anything
1: right right and and that's where i want to like you know be cautious of saying like you know of course there's so many great benefits to it but but we uh, you know like in anything we can't be dependent on on it regardless of how helpful it is right like um yeah it just can become a, a big habit that would be hard to break as well so i guess what i wanted to ask about before was when you mentioned that you stopped using it in college um what was what was that kind of like then like did you experience you know anxiety or any kind of um you know struggle and appetite as well
0: I was a D1 volleyball player. So I, I mean, I very honestly, when you're working out that much, you have an appetite all the time. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) And I think also through that, you know, high intensity level of activity that I was partaking in every single day. And this is something I've, you know, come to integrate into my daily life as an adult too, is, you know, exercise does just as much, if not more, yeah. for my mental state than cannabis does. I mean, mm-hmm. so really in college, it was sort of a perfect environment in which I, you know, I at no point did I feel like I was missing out on anything. Yeah. I never missed it. I was never like, oh, I I you know, I wish I had the opportunity to do this. Because if I wanted to, I could have. Like I played volleyball, the NCAA it was not drug testing. Samford volleyball players you know they're pretty (laughs) low on their priority list but yeah it um I never physically you know I was in I was in a really good place in college
1: yeah yeah right so that that was gonna be a nice segue into the other part of the question was sounds like physically then was good and but based on kind of your what you've been sharing on social media uh Emotionally it wasn't as much. You want, would you like to kind of go into that?
0: Um, college emotionally was was fine for me. It was really post-college when things um took a turn. And I, you know, I really truly attribute that to the fact that I I was a journalism major and I am I'm an intensely creative person. Um and I graduated from college. And I took a job with IBM Hmm. selling analytics. Um, so right from, and you know, that's, I can chalk that up to a lot of different things, but effectively, you know, what we prioritize in our culture and society is jobs that make you money. Right. And I was very much just following a path and, and, you know, I'm very, privileged. I come from a very privileged community where I know a lot. My parents have a lot of connections and we have a lot of connections and we all know how that all works out. And, and so I ended up with a job at IBM, you know, as a journalism major, a creative journalism major. Um, and I, and I was hugely successful there. I mean, that's not to say that it wasn't a good fit for IBM. Um, I, I did very well and I made them a lot of money at the expense of my own well being, um, yeah. Because even though I was making a ton of money, you know, I was I was twenty three years old, making mid six figures, and I was just miserable. And and there was, you know, from from the outside looking in, there was absolutely no reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I now know about myself that that for me, my work. Is my purpose and and my purpose and my driving force. Um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a person who's ever been interested in in having a family, and so really, where all that energy for me goes is my work. And having aligned work, I've found is is the most critical thing for me in my entire life. I have to feel a sense of purpose. I have to feel a sense of value and contribution towards something bigger than myself. And when you're selling tech to billion, multi billion dollar companies, there is no opportunity for that.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So, yeah, I I resonate a lot with that, you know, maybe not in mid six figures. And I'm like, dang, that's, I want some of that. No, but, uh, (laughs) no, but, uh, but I I also came from the technology industry as well as a consultant. and also, you know, very similar position where this was a great fit. Like, I actually really started loving the role I was sort of thrown into. And, um, you know, I'm still very much a, a geek for technology and, and whatnot. Um, but there was something, uh, sort of missing from that, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, from a, sort of this human like purpose and you know what our time is meant here for and all these existential questions right but mm-hmm. uh but i mean even yeah so like being in a you know large corporation making other large corporations millions of dollars that you don't see is it just mm-hmm. feels weird and and kind of uh like undervalued. Right.
0: Yeah. At least it just feels yeah very self-serving. I mean, it's, it, when I finally got down to the root of it, it's like, well, yeah, I have a great apartment and I have a great car and I'm super comfortable. I can go on any vacation whenever I want. But what is that doing for anybody else?
1: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Say my social life. You know, it was like a domino effect, right? Uh, My social life became a reflection of my unhappiness in my work. And, you know, because I didn't have a very strong sense of self through my work, I I became very committed to fitting in outside of work and just Mm. surrounded myself with people that I didn't have anything in common with, much like I was doing with my job. There was just Mm. no alignment whatsoever. But I mean, alignment was not a word in my vocabulary at this time.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So what was that kind of shift then in that sense? Like, you know, I'm just imagining these are very two different Sarahs, right? Like what was, what was, what what kind of brought about that awareness and really, uh, you know, sparked that, that transition for you?
0: Yeah, so I turned 30 at the end of November 2016 and I was in a on and off relationship um at that time which was very dysfunctional. Um I'm still friends with said person, but I mean as a as a couple that was just horrible. Um but in and so the holidays, you know, the holidays were hard because we were in a dysfunctional relationship and you know, I just turned 30, which I think, you know, subconsciously was cause for a lot of introspection, even if it I wasn't consciously doing it. And then in January of 2017, that relationship ended, and it just completely threw me into a tailspin um because I recognized that you know, I, I was the common denominator in all of these things that felt bad in my life. And, you know, I recognized that I was going to have to make some internal changes and start working on myself and, you know, quote unquote, deal with my demons, if you will. And when that happened, I got really, really depressed. Um, mm. so from like mid January to, and, and uh, you might be connecting the dots here. This is also when the eating disorder made way into my life. So really, you know, January 2017, I just, I I, I don't like saying rock bottom because I've, I've found that even when you think you hit rock bottom, you can go further. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had reached this really, really low point. Um, in January 2017 and i just allowed myself to cease being a functional person i mean like i stopped eating i stopped leaving my apartment i was sleeping 12 to 16 hours a day because i just it was just resistance like i rec- i finally realized i needed to make changes and i was so resistant To begin the process of doing that, that I allowed myself to exist that way for almost four months before I finally was like, okay, pick yourself up off the floor, read a self-help book and, you know, and started meditating. And it was, I mean, it was all very gradual. There's so many different things that happened that I, I attribute, you know, the, the shift and the awakening to, I, I started going to yoga every single day. I started meditating every single day. I started engaging with gratitude, um, very actively. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it, it's, it is one of the, it all sounds really nice. You know, it's like, Oh, self-care you're, you, you're getting healthy, but it is a horribly isolating process because I can tell you, I don't have, I shouldn't say a single cause I do have a single, but the, my, the friend group that I had up until that point, they're not in my life anymore. Like uh, my right. entire social network changed so drastically and even, you know, very somewhat sadly, my relationship with my family completely changed um, because that's, you know, that's what's necessary. And, and it's yeah. so hard.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it, I, th- I think a lot about the, you know, sort of the, the, the burning Phoenix, right? Like mm-hmm. you kinda, yeah. it's, it's this old self that you kind of have to give up in or or let go. And, um, that's that's definitely the hardest part. Um, and and when you mention, you know, going through your that awareness, you know, um, I think that's what deters a lot of people from even starting because they know what the next step after that is, and it's gonna suck, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly and, not
0: for the faint yeah. heart.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, but it sounds like it. It maybe wasn't really up to you to to decide in in a way like That's a, it yeah. sounds like
0: That's yeah a good way of putting it, I mean because there is no way I could have continued to exist you know once it's once, once you reach that level of awareness, there's really no coming back from it, and I can't and I'm sure you can relate to this sentiment. there are so many days when I sit down and I'm like, I want to go back to sleep.
1: Yeah,
0: I, my brain is tired. I I'm tired of this growth. I'm tired of this introspection. I, I want to go back to a state of
1: unawareness, right? Ignorance is bliss. Yes, (laughs)
0: yes, yes. yes. But you can't, I mean, once you're, once you come to that, I mean, if, and, and if you do come to that level of awareness and you do go back to the same life you were living, I mean, I wish you the best of luck because you're going to be so miserable.
1: Yeah. So what What kind of, so it sounds like you had very, you know, tangible things to be working on too. And you said meditating, yoga. Um, what, what other kinds of either like, what's a change in behavior or maybe a, you know, um, yeah just any new activity or task or a relationship, like what was something else that really y- you could attribute to, you know, helping you facilitate this, this yeah. change and process. I,
0: I can say pro- like the, the aspect of this whole change that distanced me the most from people is that I stopped drinking. So mm. that was another um, when I got really clear, so all of this just comes down to awareness, right? Just living in a, in a constant state of awareness of, you know, what, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I yeah. engaging in the behavior that I'm engaging in? And, you know, I've got a pretty aggressive view of alcohol at this point. You know, it, I think it is just the most devastating substance on earth and I and shame on the liquor lobbies and the lobbyists who have made it as strong as it is and have made people think that it's normal. And there is such a thing as responsible drinking and even glamorizing it. I mean, because alcohol mm-hmm. is poison. There is no nutritional use. There's no medicinal use. There's no therapeutic use for alcohol whatsoever. And yet we have moms, moms partaking in it with their kid, like while they're watching their infant children and that's Mm -hmm. normal. That's considered normal. And, and, and I recognized, you know, that all the marketing and advertising around us just encourages people to keep partaking in it. And I finally came to this place where I was like, I don't want to be a part of this. I feel, and not that I, would have ever labeled myself an alcoholic. I mean, I definitely had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I I drank to get drunk, but it was ne- I was never impeding my, you know, my work or my daily life. Sure. Um, but it it's more of just taking a stance to say this, I love myself and I respect myself enough that I'm going to not engage with this anymore because it's not good for me and it's not good for anyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I you know that that is a comment on like just our how other people's your biases or perceptions of things or the information that they have can really influence us in in so many ways right mm-hmm. and so like from in from the alcohol industry. It it definitely you know I could very much see that it was the cool thing to do like you know it'd be, it's so glamorous to have like oh I have my own little bar car it's like I have these fancy glasses you could pour a nice scotch and sip on which I still do enjoy actually but it, I I could see that there's a whole sort of culture behind it um, yeah whereas whereas and then on the opposite side where cannabis has had a huge negative culture or stigma to it, where, um, even though it does have all the, you know, medicinal Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like even pain relieving, uh, benefits and it was just so suppressed. And so, you know, now shifting gears here, like it, it, for, for you being in the industry, I think there's a lot of, education and advocacy that has to happen within that. Um, Yeah, I guess now I'm curious where your role is in the industry itself and, and how you can kind of, you know, play a role in like shifting this sort of mindset that people have.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to sound like a pessimist when I say this stuff or a conspiracy theorist or anything of that nature, but working for a trade association, um, and sort of getting to peel back the the lid on the political landscape as it pertains to lobbying has been a little bit horrifying to be very honest with you. Mm. Um, because I can tell you, you know, the reason, and, and I grew up in a home where it, it was very much, if it's legal, it's okay. If it's illegal, it's not okay which is so backwards when it comes to cannabis and alcohol. I mean, it's completely backwards. Right. right. Um, but the reason that this is the general opinion is because the alcohol lobby has been pushing that. And because not, not just the alcohol lobby, but the cotton lobby and the pharmaceutical lobby and everyone who stands to lose something, from cannabis succeeding in the American mm. economy. And they have not millions, but billions of dollars to throw at this cause, right? Yeah. So, I mean, realistically, that is what we're up against.
1: That's yeah, an uphill battle.
0: <laughs> and not, and you know, and it, it doesn't deter me. It, it, It's, you know, I wake up every day ready to fight this fight because change is coming, um, yeah. obviously. But there is so there are so many evil forces, if you will, right, at working and spending a lot of money to ensure that the type of education we need to make this ind- to legitimize this industry just doesn't get out. And and you know, in line with that, cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, which means yeah. research is not legal. So how are we ever going to progress our, our initiatives if we can't actually do legitimate research on this plant?
1: That's the question.
0: <laughs> and so and that's the <laughs> argument too. I mean, that's the argument of everyone who opposes cannabis. They say, well, there's no research. There's no research. Well, the reason there's no research is because we literally cannot do research. And the research we can right. do is deemed as not legitimate enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and that's that's where you know a lot of my fire comes in too. Is like this has helped so many people that are more and more coming out. You know, with a sort of a scientific background, or yeah, so <laughs> coming out from from that side of things, but also anecdotally and and throughout other stories as well. And in ways that all these other methods and, and pharmaceuticals and just all these other things that we thought traditionally would be what brings about happiness and, and fulfillment and just living a good life in general was supposed to do for us, but doesn't, you know? And it, it, so yeah, so it's like really, it would be really curious to see what kind of future our society would be when at least we have the option to legally consume cannabis.
0: Yes. And, you know, it's very, for me, it's very hard to see the future of the industry just in light of all of the different political, um, I don't know, stakeholders, I suppose, that are, you know, trying to to get in our way. But
1: mm.
0: right now, where I see the biggest issue, not issue, but I suppose point of confusion um, between consumers wanting to treat this as a medicine is that pharmaceuticals are synthetic, right? Like we can regulate pharmaceuticals so that you get the exact same pill every time. If you took 150 antidepressant pills, they would all be composed the exact same way. Yeah. Cannabis is a natural product. We we're never going to be able to regulate it like a synthetic yeah, product. And so I always have to laugh when I see these really silly cannabis dosing guides because anyone who's ever used cannabis in a group of friends knows that the exact same strain of cannabis affects five people completely differently. Right. And the right. amounts affect people completely differently. So, you know, where I think it's it's a struggle for us is how do we gain legitimacy when we say, I can't tell you how much to take. It's yeah. an experiment. Like you really exactly. have to experiment with it to figure out what strain, what serving, what, you know, when you take it is best for you. because no one is ever going to be able to give you a dosing guide Mm -hmm. based or rooted in science. That's, that's, I don't foresee that ever existing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that would be a big argument against that, right. Is like, how can we make this, like you mentioned, like legitimize this industry if it's, if you can't make this consistent, um well i can tell you, know, you what the yeah.
0: pharmaceutical companies are going to do is they're going to say let us make a synthetic of it and that right. way we can regulate it and that right. is horrifying.
1: It is. Yeah. I think uh, they're already creating something oh, yeah. uh, around um, that and Epidiolex, it's
0: Epidiolex is the synthetic CBD product that GW mm-hmm. Pharmaceuticals has created.
1: Yeah, and it's not showing very good signs, right? In terms of testing.
0: I've, I honestly don't even, I don't even read about Epidiolex because I think it's such a crock. I saw how much it cost, and knowing that the people who are paying for that can just as easily buy a really reputable third-party tested CBD product and have the same, if not better results is very frustrating for me.
1: Yeah. Well, but the, again, I think it's the confidence factor, right? Like Maybe they might buy a CBD product, but probably won't get the same results because of the whole varying, like all the nuances within.
0: Well, I can tell you, it. Epidiolex is an isolate-based product, so it's just CBD. It's not full spectrum. It's not. It doesn't contain all of the different cannabinoids. Gotcha. There is no entourage effect. There is no synergistic, you know, anything happening between terpenes and cannabinoids. It is a CBD isolate product, which yeah. the only time I ever recommend an isolate product is if you are going to be getting drug tested for work. Otherwise you should definitely be taking a full spectrum product. Mm.
1: So yeah, that's another good thing to know too. when shopping for CBD is look for this full, full spectrum.
0: Yeah. Right? Yes. The cannabinoids were meant to work together just like a symphony. I mean, Like you can compare CBD to a violin and CBG to a cello and CBN to a flute. Like they all, they're so great. They're wonderful molecules on their own, but they, they work a lot better together.
1: Yeah. Um, that reminds me of the, the, the best, one of the biggest recent discoveries within our human bodies, the endocannabinoid system.
0: So we, uh, yeah, the human yeah. body actually does make endogenous cannabinoids. So, um, w- like when you're falling asleep at night, your spinal column releases something called oleamide, and that is an endogenous cannabinoid. Um, there's also anandamide, which our body produces, um, it's called the bliss molecule. And so, you know, the discovery of the endocannabinoid system to me, I mean, that was all I needed to hear to solidify my belief that as humans, we are supposed to be interacting with this plant. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, there's just no doubt in my mind at this point that we were meant to consume and eat. I mean, to smoke, to eat, to apply topically, however you, you want to use it. We're supposed to be interacting with cannabis. Um, and I'm,
1: and we have been for thousands of years before this,
0: thousands, like, and thousands. Yeah. I mean, like they say, like I, I worked with a, dir- a director of science at one of my old companies, who he used to say we've been using it for millennia. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, but it is. I mean, it it was one of the original medicines yeah. in human history,
1: right. Yeah. And so that's why it's interesting that, you know, as you dig into the history, as I've been digging into the history of it, it really, it, it's just kind of, it kind of, it kind of, you know, gives me less hope on how terrible humans are sometimes. <laughs> like the, the fact that it was made illegal with, you know, very racist roots mm-hmm. and very like capitalistic roots. Um, so anyway, uh, but I'm glad that now, like this discovery of the ECS is so important for that because it really helps prove that, yeah, that this is a natural, th- we, we, this is a natural interaction here. Uh, and when there is a deficiency in, in our system, in this endocannabinoid system that, you know, a lot of other drugs might not be able to address mm-hmm. you know this is where this is where cannabis can help
0: yes cannabinoids are amazing at supplementing our ecs and that is why i mean this is precisely why we see so many people having success with cannabis in so many different ways because right. ecs is largely running the show within the, i mean yep. if you have a spine the ECS is running the show. It's responsible for regulating and balancing many major systems and processes, including your immune system, the reproductive system, communication between cells, appetite, metabolism, memory. I mean, I'm, I'm not a medical professional and my non-medical way of explaining its importance is that it exists and is constantly working towards creating a state of homeostasis in the body. So wherever your body is not experiencing homeostasis that's where you know cannabis is going to help you the most
1: yeah yeah i mean like if we're you know relating it back to you know anxiety as an example right like cannabis is a was is plays a role in in helping you stay in the present to kind of almost forget um in a good way you know the past or the future and whatnot and so you know they're like as you mentioned there's just so many effects that are seemingly unrelated but also related at the same time like they're all connected yeah in, in the central system
0: um, I mean, the- so
1: it's just crazy that like why did we not why why were we suppressing this and how far would we have gone if we had known this before
0: yes and i i will say too you know like doctors love to tout how plentiful our serotonin and dopamine receptors are in our in our brain and in our body and i can tell you cb1 and cb2 receptors are way more plentiful than dopamine or serotonin transmitters they i mean they cover every inch of our skin they are our whole body is it has cb1 and cb2 receptors in it they're just everywhere
1: yeah well, cool. I mean, I, we could definitely keep, you know, geeking out about this too. But uh, in 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 interest of time, I'd be curious in now like having this advocacy for cannabis and kind of now being so involved in industry and, and seeing how much it's helped you in a very deep and personal level. Like what, what do you, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you kind of see where do you see the cannabis industry going and kind of what your role is in it?
0: Yeah. So, and this is where I need to differentiate between the high THC and the low THC, because I, I think, you know, the future for each is going to be very different. Um, Mm -hmm. the high THC side, you know, I, we just had Illinois legalized recreationally. So, you know, the rec state's, that that's all coming, you know, due to just demand from consumers that they want this. It's silly for states to continue to bar it from happening as because of the tax implications. Um, So I do, you know, I, I do see it's such a bipartisan issue that I don't see the high THC side of the industry um, going anywhere. I definitely think obviously like greater regulation is going to be imposed and more taxes will be imposed. Um, But I don't see it going anywhere just because of the, the mainstream support that it's received at this point. Um, The low THC side, so more on like the hemp side of, of the coin it's, I I really don't know. We are, we are at a very, very critical, pivotal time in our industry because 2019 was only the first year that hemp was recognized as a federally legal agricultural crop. So this is a brand new baby industry. And yeah. we are experiencing all of the growing pains of a brand new industry. So, you know, for example, everybody grew CBD. Uh, in 2019, because the infrastructure to grow fiber and grain varietals, like once you grow it, there's nowhere for you to send it to be processed in the United States right now. That just, it doesn't exist because this industry hasn't existed. But there are CBD processing facilities. So everybody grew CBD flower or CBD hemp, low low THC CBD hemp. in 2019. And there was a huge oversupply, as you might imagine. So um, I can say I'm thrilled because the infrastructure is going up right now. I mean, I know there are grain and fiber facilities being built all over the country, but it's, it's a process, you know, it's a huge process and it's going to take some time. And it's also a very weird you know there are people who don't want to jump into the processing game because because there's no processing people aren't growing that kind of hemp so you're going to get a like you know 200 million dollars to open up a processing facility and not then not have anything to process for the first year so it's just i'm feeling all of these growing pains of this industry which is you know why the HIA exists is, you know, how do we how do we connect all of the appropriate people to each other to make sure that we are scaling this industry in a way that makes sense and isn't going to end up hurting the farmers at the end of the day? You know, we don't want our farmers to be left with their entire crop and nobody to sell it to, which is largely what happened in 2019. So yeah. Um I definitely see, you know, it's it's a bright future for all of the different varieties of of hemp um because it is, you know, federally protected although we have a lot of work to do um on the state and local level. Um because everybody wants wants oversight over this. Everybody wants yeah. to have a say, the USDA wants to have a say, the FDA wants to have a say for some reason the DEA Is still involved in the conversation. Um, and, and, and then the local, the local governing bodies also want to have oversight. So it's, you know, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but I, you know, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the ability to, to work in my capacity with the HIA, um, on behalf of this industry because, and here's, you know, another little fun fact, which is really, this has become my driving force more so than the therapeutic and medicinal side of things is cannabis sequesters carbon from the air. Hmm. Did you know that? Uh, No, but can you see the implications of being grown all over the planet? Like what, what that means for us? Yeah. And it not only sequesters carbon, when it is growing out of the ground, if you build a hempcrete home, your hempcrete home is going to sequester carbon. Wow! <laughs> and, and on top of
1: like, is there anything this doesn't do? No. On top what of that, it's there?
0: fireproof. It is fireproof. Wow! It is yeah. antimicrobial. It is anti-pest. It is fireproof. It is. It is literally. I mean, we're right now. There are so many hoops to jump through from a permitting standpoint to build a hempcrete home. But I would not be surprised within the next 10 years if if you are not able to build without hemp. Huh. Yeah. Because of it. I mean, it is just the most it's so far superior to anything that we have on the planet right now.
1: That's that's pretty cool. That's yeah. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So. So I just want hemp to proliferate because it very literally has the ability to not only heal humans but to heal our planet.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So that does sound like, the, at least for the, especially for the hemp industry, that you're you're going to be around for a while. <laughs> that there's going to be a lot of very applicable and and uh, uses for. For it in so many ways,
0: absolutely, um, absolutely,
1: and and something that's already been being used for in in so many ways. So I'm I'm excited to see where what all the new applications of it would be. Um, and it sounds like so HIA is uh, is kind of the amplifier of you know, people working in hemp, right? Is that kind of a good summarization?
0: Yeah. So up to this point, so, you know, we were founded 27 years ago and in that 27 years, we have sued the DEA four times because the DEA wanted hemp to be included as a controlled substance, just like high THC cannabis. And we have, we existed, you know, long before all of the, the general hype around this plant existed. And so, we sued the DEA and we won three and a half times, which is really the reason that the industry even exists today. Not, you know, not to say, oh, look at us, we did this. But from a legal standpoint, without the DEA being sued, the hemp industry would not be separate from the cannabis industry right now. Mm. So we, you know, I think, you know, I'm immensely proud of, of our history, but we we definitely it's time for us to pivot and and start shaping policy for the future of the industry um yeah and and all of the different facets of of that industry wow
1: okay how how can what can consumers do to push this forward or keep this this message going like what from a consumer standpoint, what can we do?
0: Yeah, thank you for asking that. And that's a good question. I would say, you know, just A, consume hemp, like buy hemp heart, buy buy hemp yeah. clothing, which unfortunately, you know, because everybody in the U.S. was growing for CBD, you can't actually buy hemp textiles that fr- that are made from hemp that was grown in the United States. So that whole market is largely coming out of China and Europe um, while the USA works to get online with all of that processing equipment. But, you know, just buy, um, there, I should say there are plenty of us based hemp clothing companies, but they are sourcing from other countries at this point. Um, so buy hemp clothes, buy hemp food, buy, you know, just support, buy, buy CBD, support, um you know companies that exist within the industry and and really you know try to self-educate as much as possible you know seek out this education we the HIA currently does have a $100 a year membership that is just called hemp supporter and it's for you know non company entities like if just an individual person wants to support the hemp industry you can join the hiA as a supporter for a hundred dollars a year um, and I think you know we're definitely making some changes moving forward because we recognize that even hundred dollars is is very cost prohibitive for a lot of people who want to get involved so mm-hmm. we hopefully will be unveiling a, an even lower cost membership for individuals and then um, we do have a consumer-facing program that we run every year. It's traditionally been called Hemp History Week. And it's the first week of June. We are changing the name of that this year to Hemp Week because, again, why would we focus on the history when we can be focusing on the future? And that really is our consumer-facing educational program um, to to sort of target an audience that that doesn't normally, you know, think about or or have exposure to hemp.
1: Awesome. Okay. I'll, I'll link all that in the show notes, but Sarah, I think this has been an awesome conversation. So I appreciate you sharing and and also being open, uh, about your own story as well.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for reaching out. It was fun chatting with you. It was a really good first podcast experience. Thank you.
1: All right. Cool all right thank you for listening to this episode with sarah gardner i really hope you got something out of this uh if so i'd love to hear about it you can follow the instagram account for this podcast at human up podcast so instagram.com slash human up podcast um and please go ahead and like share and comment on the episode um As I am getting super passionate about cannabis and and supporting this plant and all the medicinal benefits it has for people, I am creating a Facebook group and community around it. I plan to host a, a workshop twice a month to help us learn more about cannabis and how to use it more consciously and with more intention for the the more emotional benefits that it can bring um, combining that with my emotional intelligence coaching and education as well so if you're interested in being a part of that or at least just being part of the community um, definitely email me at victor at victorong.com i am still figuring out the the best name for the group um, but email me and i can send you the link as well or just find me on Instagram that works too. So, thank you again for listening. I am always humbled by by you listening all the way through to this point. So, really appreciate that and